Welcome to the Success Code, where Roy Red provides interviews, discussions, strategies, and talks to help broaden your perspective on your road to cracking the Success Code, which is a personal, self-expressive journey. Enjoy. today to introduce to you um, Roy Red, who is an author uh, living on the West Coast, and um, he has written a lot of uh, good work, including The Success Magnet, uh, Cultivating the Five Values that Attract Success. Roy, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. How are you doing? Good. Good to have you uh, on a um, webinar with a lot of people on the call um, how's it out there on the West Coast today? It's good. It's colder than it usually is, but it's it's still not as cold as the East Coast, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm in cold weather here. It's uh, nice and and crisp and cold today. Uh, which part of California are you in? I am about 30 minutes away from Los Angeles in the Inland Empire. So I'm not all the way in the craziness, but I'm still close enough to. Uh, handle business if I have to. Great, great. That's uh, nice weather there, I'm sure, this part of the year. Yeah. So, um, Roy, tell us a little bit about your story. Um, where did you, uh, what was your background, and um, what made you uh, get towards writing this uh, book that you wrote? Well, basically, I'm just a regular kid from Gardena, California. That's a little small town really close to Compton, California. Compton's a little more famous, you know, for being a a rough city. I was right down the street from Compton. And um, basically, um, I'm a child of two police officers, and they worked hard, and we still couldn't really make it out of the area we were in until I got a little bit older, in which I moved to where I am now. And basically... I came in, went to school, and I became a paramedic. I was being a paramedic, and I, I just love to help people. Helping people has just always been my calling, and it's what I've been done since I was a little kid. So that's why going into the medical field was something that really resonated with me. Being a paramedic, young, living life, making what I thought was good money at the time, I got a little complacent, and, you know, life just kind of went downhill, you know, in my early 20s. I was about 24, 25 at the time. Um, I was working at this company, and uh, something happened, and I kind of stuck up for myself, and they fired me. And when the company fired me, I was was real upset, you know, I love helping people, and and quite frankly, you know, we all think we're the best at our job. I, I felt like I was the best. I've, I've done so well. I've, I've saved hundreds of lives working at that company, mm-hmm. literally. And when they fired me, you know, things just went south. I, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't living life like I was supposed to. I, I wasn't allocating my money like I was supposed to. And I lost my job. My car broke down in the same week. And I didn't have the money to fix my car. With that happening, I was searching for a job, and 
I got another job, uh, not knowing that, you know, I wanted to speak and coach yet, and I got a new job. When I got the new job, I didn't have a car, so I had to borrow some money from my mother to get a car. She gave me like 300 bucks. I got this little broken down 1987 beige Honda Civic. It had rust all over it. it and when you sat inside of it, it, there was nothing that even separated from me and the engine. There was like no dashboard there. Like that's how bad this car was. But anyway, I was, uh, woke up one morning, got up, and I, you know, I had this terrible dream in which I was living this life where, you know, I was just depressed. I didn't have any money. My my car was terrible, and I woke up from that dream and realized that it was my reality. And, you know, this this was what was really going on. And I remember just waking up depressed. It was a winter morning. It was like the third day on my new job, and I had already been late twice already. So I just kind of brushed my teeth, got ready, and uh, headed out to my new job. And the the car I had, in in order to start it, I had to I had to pull I had to push the car for about ten feet, and then jump in and start it just for it to even work. So I did wow. that, and I'm on my, I'm on my way to work and. Works maybe 45 minutes away from me. So I'm going, I'm going. You know, I'm, I didn't even have a radio in the car, so I was just listening to my own thoughts. And, you know, obviously I was depressed, so it's just a bunch of negative thoughts. And as I'm driving, I hit some traffic. And when I hit traffic, I go, oh, this can't be happening. I can't be late to, to my new job. I've already been late twice. And my boss had told me, like, hey, man, this is your second day and you've already been late twice. I'm going to have to let you go if you're late again. So I did what some of us do. I jumped in the diamond lane, even though I was by myself. And that's the, that's the carpool lane. I don't know if you guys have that out there. It's you, At least two people have to be in this lane mm-hmm. to ride in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm riding in the lane, and I'm, like, I'm kind of getting a little excited. I'm like, yes, I'm going to be on time. And right when I said that, I started to smell smoke. And smoke's mm. coming out of the car, and I go, what's going on? And the engine dies, and I go, this cannot be happening right now. The engine dies, and in the diamond lane on the 10 freeway, there's a, there's a median between the diamond lane and the actual freeway. Mm-hmm. So when the car stopped, I was stuck. I had nowhere to go. I couldn't push the car to the right. And I had about two and a half miles to go until there was a turnoff. And I'm just freaking out. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to tow my car home, all these negative thoughts. So I did what, you know, I did all the time in my life. I looked for help. And I looked behind me, and there was this woman behind me in her, in her Mercedes Benz on her cell phone. And she looked at me. And she kind of shrugged her shoulders like, you know, I can't help you. And I turned around, realized I'm going to have to push this car before the police get there because I, I can't afford the $300 diamond lane ticket. Mm. So I started to push. And I'm pushing, I'm pushing. And the first thing I felt was just, was just like denial, like this is not happening right now. 
and I went through the whole Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, you know, five levels of death. I went through the denial first. Then a couple mm-hmm. seconds went by, and then I went, I went through anger, and I was just like, I was mad. I'm like, the lady behind me is selfish. She won't even help me push my car. And after that, I, I just, I kind of started to, like, kind of bargain with it. Well, you know, maybe, maybe this just isn't meant for me, and maybe I just, you know, you know, I don't even know what to do. And then from there, I, I just felt depressed. And I, I started to cry, and tears were coming down my eyes. And I realized I was crying because everything that happened was because I did it. It, it was my fault. I, you know, I, 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 I was a young kid, good job. I didn't save any money. I, it, it, you know, it was my fault. And... I couldn't blame anybody. I couldn't blame my parents. I couldn't blame family. I couldn't blame the lady behind me. And with that thought, I just cried and I pushed. And I told myself at that moment, I said, this will never happen again, and I'm going to get my life together. And next thing you know, I look up and I I push the whole car by myself two miles. We get on the turnoff and... From there, uh, a tow truck guy comes and goes, hey, can I tow you off the road? And I go, man, I have no money. He goes, you know what, I, I'll tow it back home for you. I, I don't even care. I'll, I'll go off of dispatch. I'll take my lunch. I'll take your car back for you. And I'm like, thank you so much. So get back home, thinking about what happened. My girlfriend walks in the house and telling her what happened, and she decides it was a cold time to break up with me. And mm. she broke up with me that day, and she actually told me that you know, she was talking to someone else, and it just it just killed me, man. It put me into another state of depression, and I was just like... Yeah, you know I can what? imagine. It, I was just like, you know what? I got to go hit the gym. So I go to hit the gym, and I'm telling, I'm just talking to myself, and I come across, like, some motivational YouTubes. You know, we go on YouTube, and we're, like, trying to find something to, like, motivate us. And I come across a Jim Rohn YouTube. And, you you know, we all love Jim Rohn. He's on there. He's like, God, take responsibility for your life. And it just resonated with me so well. And listening to Jim Rohn every day, every night, within that next week, after deciding I was going to change my life, I found a new job. And it was actually a, a good job that paid triple what I was making at the ambulance company. It it was a, a hospital job. It had benefits and everything. I'm like, cool. Like, all right, we're rolling. We're rolling. Then mm-hmm. started working there, became full-time, doubled my income within that year. I went from broke making 60 like around 50 60 grand and I'm like cool like all right don't mess up this time Roy. allocate your money I'm grabbing books on Jim Rohn uh, how to allocate your money in buckets and save 10% here 10% there I'm like don't mess up like you did before take responsibility and I'm doing that and um, at my new job I met a guy who wanted to bring me to a seminar and I go, oh, cool, like, you know, well, you know, like, what's a seminar? And he's like, 
Well, it's just basically all these, you know, really successful people stand up and they, they motivate you and tell you how they became successful. And I'm like, yeah, I want to go. And he's like, okay, the tickets are $2,000. And I'm like, oh, I can't go. <laughs> like, I'm not spending that money on a seminar. I told myself I wouldn't, I, I would allocate my money. And, you know, I was scared with my money because I was just broke not too long ago. But then he was a nice guy. He ended up just getting me a ticket for free. Went to the seminar, and that seminar changed my life. I met ultra-successful people. They were, it, what really freaked me out about about the successful folks that were there was they were so interested in me as much as I was them. And it resonated with me so well seeing people speak. I saw them speak on stage and talking about their struggles. I'm like, hey, I... I went through that struggle, too, but mine was a little worse. But that, if you could do it, you know, we might have the same stuff. If he could do it, I could do it. And then that's when I made the decision, like, hey, I want to coach. I want to speak. I need to mm-hmm. become successful so that people will listen to me, and that's what I want to do. I, I want to write some books. Why, you know, why can't I do it? Mm-hmm. And, and at that seminar, I had this idea to start a small CPR business, just teaching healthcare workers and the layperson and, and, and business people CPR. So I started this mm. little small, small business called Red Zone CPR. And it doubled my income, like, instantly. Like, I was like, oh, wow, I'm making more money doing this CPR thing than I, than I am in my job. And that's what opened my eyes up to entrepreneurism. I'm like, hey, I work hard and, and can bring people some value. I, I don't have to work a job. I can do one class a week and, you know, make more money. And, you know, the year goes by, 2012, 2013 comes by, and I was able to make six figures. And to me, you know, that that's not like major money to a lot of people, but somebody who a year and a half before that was completely broke girlfriend broke up with him, didn't know what I was going to do, depressed, I was looking at my taxes like, wow, like, taking responsibility is the ultimate power, and mm-hmm. I just was like, I want to share that, oh my God, and, you know, initially when we want to share something, we tell our friends, and our friends don't really get it initially, but I was just so inspired, I'm like, I got to tell someone, I got to do videos, I got to I gotta do this. And my coach at the time goes, hey, write a book. And I go, really? You think I could do that? He's all, why not? And I go, okay, I'm going to write a book. And then he started introducing people to me, and, and, and they were asking me all these questions, and then somehow I just started coaching people, like grown adults, 50-year-old people coming to me for coaching. And I'm like, um, like, I'm only 26. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but you know what you're talking about. And then that's when my coach came to me and said, hey, you, you got to start charging people money for that, dude. <laughs> that's, that's like quality stuff. And just with the, the you know, I'm, I'm not a super genius, but reading a book a week for three years after that date and after hearing Jim Rohn talk about reading and studying has allowed me to, instead of collecting dots, 
I was able to put the dots together and create mm-hmm. the big picture. And that's when I realized that us as human beings can consciously create our experiences. But we can only do that if we take full responsibility for our life, 100%. And that was the gift God gave me that day, pushing that car. And Mm -hmm. as depressed as I was, the best thing that happened to me, the best thing that happened to me. And basically yeah, so that's, that's a yeah. great story. Now, go ahead. Yeah, that's it. That's that's basically the quick rundown. Yeah, so uh, that's that's an awesome story, and I'm sure the challenges might be different for different people, but I think yeah. the principles that you covered, are those the ones that you think others can apply to? Yes, well... I noticed, I started to see a trend in the successful people that I had met at the seminar and in all the books I read that if you work on five major things, I call them the five major values, then everything else Mm -hmm. falls in place. You know, we tend to want to do something and we chase this ideal, this, this version of success and we can never grab it because what you chase eludes you. But if you just become better and cultivate your money right, cultivate your health, cultivate love, cultivate wisdom, cultivate your spirituality, whatever you practice, those are all transformational things in which you become better. And when you become better, you naturally attract everything you want. And that's what I realized. Sure. Uh, for those that are on the call, uh, you can type in your questions. And I'm, as I ask uh, Roy the questions, I'm going to incorporate some of them uh, along with uh, some of the questions that I have for yourself. So uh, did you ever run into a situation where people that um, knew you and you were struggling, uh-huh. that they would not believe that, you could change and become what you have become now? Oh, yes. Um, to even friends now, they think, like, I'm fake. Like, when I get around them and, mm-hmm. like, something will happen to that they seem as negative and I'm, like, real positive about it and just loving and they're like, well, like, what are you, what are you doing, man? Are you, are you faking? And I'm like, no, I'm not faking. It's just there's and he's like well that guy was rude to you and i'm like no he wasn't rude to me it's it's all about how you perceive it and he might have been rude but i don't know what he's going through that day and and i really like practicing i pretend that someone has a sign over their head that says please be patient with me because we we don't know what's going on in people's lives and a lot of my friends at the time that you know, I I don't see much now because you know we we don't resonate as much. They they thought that I I was fake, and when I started to make a little more money, I would you know ask them like, hey, let's let's just go to Vegas and 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 go get a table and and have some fun, and they would get angry with me and oh, just because you got lucky and made some, and I'm like, dude, it's not about that. It's about you know wanting to to just be with you and 
and and and just love and have fun, you know. And that's that that was the hardest part, you know, the whole with great wisdom comes great grief and what that grief was for me was losing friends because they they thought that I was just faking or they thought I, that I was lucky and they really didn't want to take the responsibility that I decided to take when I went through my struggles. How did you overcome it when you were going through the struggle? Did you have any self-doubt that um, that you would you would have challenges overcoming it? And especially when these people would not they don't even believe you now, so obviously they did not believe you at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when you what, what got me through initially was just watching and listening to audio programs, reading books, watching motivational DVDs, and I just started feeding my mind all of these things that were going to change and manufacture um, the concepts that I had already had. And as far as, you know, what, you know, it, how'd I deal with it, I just, actually, it was probably like the greatest time after I took responsibility because I knew that if I went through the struggles because of the person I was, all I had to do was become a better person and the struggles would go away and everything would just change. And I just felt like all I got to do is discipline myself. And I set systems in my life. Wake up, meditate, relax, plan your day, go work out, hit the gym, go to work, come home, read for an entire hour. If the book is more than 300 pages, read two hours because we have to finish this book in a whole week. And I think just sometimes with people, they don't see the work that's being done in the background. They only see the event, and when they only see the event, they tend to think that you just kind of got lucky, or they don't they don't see the work that was put in, or they don't see you praying every night. They don't see um, the actual seeds that are being planted. All they see is the fruit. Yeah. Do you want to talk briefly about the uh, five values that you have discussed in there? Yeah, we can go over the five values. Um, the first one is money. And, you know, a lot of people wouldn't think money is a value, but we live in this utopia in which in order to have our freedom and in order to enjoy family and the things we really want to, you've you got to have a little money. You have to be able to live. And it's I talk about it as the first value because it is the least of the most important values. But if you don't feel comfortable enough to at least step out a little bit, you will never even cultivate the more important values. So you have to have your money in order first. And that was a distinction that I made early on, and that's why after being broke, I was... I was able to allocate my money properly. Um, most of us lived in live in this in this cage life. Some some psychologists call it the cage life, in which we feel caged to our circumstance because 
we don't have enough money or finances or we don't really know how to allocate or bring value to the marketplace so that we can make more money. And if you cultivate your your money properly and, and learn to bring value and learn to to climb this ladder, this utopia, then you can get out of that cage and then start to work on the other values in which we move to the next value, which is health. And health is self-explanatory. If you're not healthy and vibrant and, and full of energy and have tons of vitality, then what, you know, what, what, what are we living for? And being in the medical field so long, I was able to learn that early on and wondered why so many people would let themselves become so unhealthy and not really take any pride in their own temple, their own body. And I knew that being healthy and being full of vitality tells others subconsciously that you have some self-respect. Mm-hmm. You know, people people always say, you know, pretty fit looking. They're always like, oh, you you work out, you hit the gym, and I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I'm humble. I, I do what I can, but it really tells people when you're fit and in shape that you have self-respect, and people judge you in the first couple seconds they see you, and then they only look for things that prove whatever they judged initially. So it may not sound like the right thing, but the way you look is more important than the way, than, than the substance you have, but only initially, only initially, because people can only judge on the information they have at first. And that's why becoming fit, becoming full of energy is so important. And then the health side, that's self-explanatory. You you, you want to be, be healthy for your family and be there for, for your kids, for your loved ones, for your wife, etc. And that's where we move into the next value, which is cultivating wisdom. And this is my favorite because I just love to read. And, you know, wisdom comes from all directions. It comes from inside of yourself. It comes from reading other people's works listening to the audio programs, going to the seminars, learning, not being a follower, but being a student, contemplating everything and learning as much as we can so that we can grow as much as we can. You know, I talk about in the book, you know, I don't know what any of you guys', you know, faiths are, religions are, but in the Bible it does talk about how, God offered Solomon any wish he wanted. And Solomon mm-hmm. said, I, I wish for wisdom so I can judge people rightly. And God said, since you want wisdom and you did not ask for money and you did not ask for me to get rid of your enemies, I'm going to do all of these things for you plus give you wisdom. And that's mm-hmm. point blank proof of the value of becoming wise, having that emotion and intelligence together in balance, and which creates perfect wisdom. Mm-hmm. 
the next is uh, cultivating love. Um, I talk about the chemical breakdown of what our body releases when we feel love, the oxytocin, and how oxytocin heals the body and how it's the best chemical in which the body releases. And it's just, it, 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 it's not only there to help you, but it's there to help others. For example, mm-hmm. I tell a story in my book about how my my father would always, if he saw somebody's car broke down, he would stop his car, he would get out, and he would help push their car to the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And reading books and learning about our happiness chemicals, um, I learned that the reason for that is because when you take your time and effort and energy to help someone, it releases oxytocin in you. You know, we've you, if you stop and give someone a, a, a you know a homeless guy a dollar or two, or if you help someone, you feel this. You feel so good. It's like it's better than even buying yourself something. If you, you go to Starbucks, you buy yourself a coffee. You know, great. But if you buy someone else a coffee, you get this feeling. It's like it's euphoric, and it's it's ingrained in us to release this oxytocin, to release this this love in which in, in which spreads, I call it spreading the love drug. And then the last value is cultivating your spirituality. I say spirituality because I believe everyone should practice and to cultivate what they believe and I don't want to polarize any beliefs by by, by saying religion or or those things, you know. I respect all concepts, all beliefs, and all religions. I just ask that whatever yours is, that you live in congruence in it. Whatever you believe, actually live by it, because the symbols of how you live and the symbols of what you say is actually the same symbols of who you are. And I talk about um, Milgram's authority test and how he uh, proved that people would kill other people as long as they weren't in the, as long as the authority figure told them to. And they did studies and the people who would not kill someone else just because they were told were the people who actually believed in spirituality and believed in a higher power. And Milgram did this test because he wondered why? How did Hitler get all these guys to do such bad things? Like, were all these people really terrible people? Like, and that's why he did this. What he called the obedience experiment. And with the obedience experiment, he basically played this authority figure and told people to give people electric shocks, and sixty-five percent of the people went far enough to kill the person in the other room given electric shocks. Now, they didn't know that it was a fake a fake test, the people who were giving the shots. So they weren't really shocking people. But sixty five of the, and I just thought that's that's a crazy number. Why is it that so many people will listen to a thirty figure even if it's to kill someone? And it came to find out that the people who actually cultivated and lived congruent with their highest ideals and spirituality 
did not go on to kill those people. They would say, you know what, you may be the authority figure here, but I own up to a higher authority, a higher code, and I, I can't do this. And they walked away. And that was the importance of spirituality. And those are the five major values that I believe are the strongest. And, you know, to prove it, if you ask anybody, write down five goals this year that you want to achieve, they always give you a goal of learning something, a, a relationship goal, a spirituality goal, a money goal, and, and, a, and a health goal. Mm-hmm. You know, because these are the essential things of who we are, and they cultivate our actual being. Yeah, this is awesome. One of the questions that came in is when you were talking about the power of uh, giving, if uh, the question is, if I don't have the money to give, can I get the same benefit by giving in other ways like voluntary service or um, something of that nature? What's your thought around that? Yes, actually, that actually releases more oxytocin. If I told you that I gave $1,000 to the children's hospital, you know, you would probably say, oh, that's great, that's cool, you know. But if I told you I went and spent 40 hours at the children's hospital helping and spending time with the kids, then you, mm-hmm. that would, you would go, oh, wow, like, that's amazing. You know, I, I need to volunteer more. And comes to find out, that the oxytocin is released more when you give up your time and energy. And any parent knows this. Your, your, your kids don't want your presence. They want your presence. They want you there fully engaged. And they did, they, they've done a ton of studies on, on kids. And the kids' parents who spent a lot of time with them but were not present in the moment and actually actually giving them their time and presence, mm-hmm. those kids were actually not as well off as the kids that parents spent less time with them but did more things with them, was engaged with them, mm-hmm. gave them their time and not just, you know, presence and things like that. They found that the kids who didn't get the energy they were more bullies at school. And obviously we have a bullying epidemic now, but it's not totally the time. You need the time and the energy, the presence with others to, to help them and release that oxytocin. And, and, the, and the cool thing about oxytocin is it's, it's addictive and it, it spreads. So if you see someone do an act of generosity, it actually releases oxytocin in you, and you want to go do an act of generosity after you see that. That's that's how it works. That's why it's so amazing. Sure, that's uh, great. So somebody does not have to wait till they become wealthy to benefit from the suggestions that you're making. No, no, not at all. It, it's just allocating some time to, to to give, to help someone. If it's, you know, the whole story about the rich guys 
giving a bunch of money to the poor, and then the the poor lady came and she just gave one token, and and Jesus says she's given more than anybody has, and the disciples say, well, did she's poor? She only gave a penny. It's not about that. It's about giving with the right intentions, and if you can give your time to help others, even if it's your family, even if it's friends. Even if it's just opening the door for someone every time you're, you, you're walking in somewhere. All of that stuff releases oxytocin and all of that stuff boosts your immune system. And it's good for you, it's good for them, and it's good for everybody around you that even sees it. Great. Another question that came through while you were um, talking about the uh, values is how... Do I deal with stress? Stress. Stress is a big one. And, you know, doctors say stresses cause all these diseases and all of these things. Um, stress is actually good for us. And, you know, a lot of people trip out when I say that. You go, I'm stressed out and I go, good. And if we actually look at the chemical structure of what's going on in our bodies when we get stressed out, the cortisol, the adrenaline, it's the same exact chemical structure that we get when we are excited. One of the main human drives is, is challenge. When we have a challenge, our brains open up from that chemical structure, it opens up our synaptic pathways and we're able to rise to the challenge and learn a lot of data at that moment. But people look at it as stress when they feel it. And I asked myself, I said, hey, how come it's the same care? But one person says, I'm excited and I'm ready for the challenge, and the other person says, this is extremely stressful. And what I found is it's the meaning that you give the feeling. So if you start to feel that way and you give it the meaning of stress, you're going to be stressed out. If you give it the meaning of, you know what, this is a challenge and I'm going to step up to the plate, you get excited, you open up these synaptic pathways and you go at it with with, with tremendous action. And um, when you give stress, when you give these chemicals the meaning of stress, there's generally three levels of stress. There's the walk-away response, what we call the walk-away response. And the walk-away response is when you start to feel a little bit of the cortisol come into your body, and you just walk away. You know, like a dog does, like you start arguing with someone and a dog kind of walks away. They call that the walk-away response. The next level is the fight-or-flight response. This is the response most people know about. It's when you either want to verbally or physically attack whatever's stressing you out, or you want to run from it. And the third is what we call unconscious stress. So what do you do when you're in the woods and you can't run from a bear and the bear's attacking you? You go unconscious, you play dead, right? So what happens is when you can't walk away and you can't fight or flight, then you choose unconscious stress. 
and this is unconscious stress is the mother of all addictions and is the father of all suicide and this is why it's so important that if you work a job to find a job that you love because if you're stressed out at work at work you can't walk away from your boss you can't fight or flight on your boss so people go into this unconscious level of stress and that's why you see people are alcoholics you see people on drugs they can't wait for Fridays when they're off so they can go choose their way to become unconscious whether it's alcohol whether it's drugs whether it's sugar and bad foods those are all choices in which people become unconscious because they don't want to deal with that stress but it's just the meaning it could be challenge if you choose it and that's my take on stress wow that's uh, that's great uh, viewpoint that people can actually take it and put it to work right away yeah. um, another question that came through was how does the mind work and when the time becomes tough, how do I take control of it? How does the mind work when times are tough? How do you take control of it? Well, the mind is a mechanism that protects you, that protects the being. A lot of times the, um, the, con- the, the problem we have is is we think we are our minds. And this is what, in, in Buddhism, they call the ego. They say you have to quiet your ego and get rid of your ego. But the ego, all it is, is a conflict that you think you are your mind. And since the mind's job is to protect you and you think you are your mind, then what happens is you, the mind is protecting itself. And when you get caught up in that, that's when you care only about being right. You know those people who care about being right rather than being successful? That's the ego. That's the whole mind. The being thinks it's the mind uh, juxtaposition. And you have to learn to use your mind. It's like a tool, like a hammer. Once you understand it and know it, how it works, you can use it to your benefit and you know we've all had the time where we're angry and you step outside of your body and you see yourself angry like when I was pushing my car and I was crying and I stepped outside of my body and I saw myself crying that awareness of you seeing yourself mad that's you but the actual anger is your mind so you have to learn and make this distinction so that you know that you're in control of that. Nothing makes you mad. Things happen and then you make yourself mad. And that's how it happens with all emotions. And so what I do is if I start to feel anger or sadness hit my being, I ask myself the question. I go, hmm, I go, that's interesting. Why is that bothering you? And when you ask yourself, why is that bothering you, you're able to step out from it and go, oh, that's why it's bothering me. Okay, cool. Well, let's transmute that anger into love. Hey, is that guy really a bad person? No, he's not a bad person. 
hey, is he maybe going through something today that I don't know he is and he's just in a bad mood? Yeah, he could be going through anything. You never know. And when you step out of yourself and look at yourself and realize you have total control over your mind, you can take responsibility for your own experiences. And when you take responsibility for your own emotions, you literally change reality. If someone's always mean to you and you get to the heart of the matter, which is you, and realize, you know what, he's not being mean. It's, there's something going on I don't realize. I'm just going to reflect love on him all the time. I'm just going to love him. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it'll change reality, and he'll stop being mean, and he'll reflect love on you. Can't fight hate with hate. Can only fight hate with love. And we know that intellectually, but when you look outside yourself and you look and you understand your mind and these chemicals... You actually know it intellectually, and you can prove it scientifically. And that's how the mind works. Sure. People that know you well, in your example, let's say your girlfriend at that time that decided to go her own way, uh-huh. or it could even be your, uh, your sibling, your uh-huh. boss, because you've known this particular person for an extended period of time, uh-huh. But you have a preconceived notion about you. Even if you might have made your mind that you're going to change, uh-huh. they don't believe. And at least there are some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you, have you ever run into that kind of a situation where people don't believe in you? And if so, how did you overcome that challenge? Um, yes, that happens a lot. And, you know, it's... When you know you're in charge of your own perception, you kind of learn that others don't know that they're in charge of their perception. They think their perception is real, that it's actually what is. You know, there's people who believe that there's aliens on Mars. They truly believe that, and you you can't change their perception. So I never... try to change anyone's perception. I never attack anyone's concepts because they're they're only going to want to be right and they're only going to fight you. But what I do is I do listen to them and I I try to get to the heart of the matter. I search for nuggets. Is there anything in that that's possibly true? If there is, I go, okay, I learn that. If there's not, then I just go, you know, okay. I, you know, I just listen, you know. And I'm, I've been fortunate to where my family, it's been a few years now, and, they, and they're and they like, no, you're you're actually different. You know, people that I've seen from work when I, you know, was working, they're like, wow, you're different. You're like smiling. It's just something about you. Like you're, like their energy coming off you. The people who really love you and really close to you, they can tell. They can tell. It's It's the people the friends that are a little bit outside of your family that are the ones that think you're faking. And you know what? That's okay if they think I'm faking because hopefully, you know, that one day they see and they change. And if not, that's okay. You can accept it because, you know, now you've accepted yourself. Great. That that was a very, very uh, good explanation of how 
we can overcome in our brains because that can sometimes be a big challenge when somebody that you really love or uh, even somebody that you think is very close to you mm-hmm. is tell something that is um, limiting yeah. and and you're trying to change and become better than what you were, but they'll make a general statement like, oh, I've seen seen you all your life and uh-huh. you, you're not going to be able to do something better than what you're trying to do. Uh-huh. So that can sometimes create self-doubt. Yeah, well, there's two things. There's two aspects to that. First off, we're always being made, made new every second. It's been proven the universe is giving off and receiving energy all the time. Nothing's ever the same. We only perceive it to be the same. So that's a fact. Now, as far as how they see you based on how you were in the past, you just got to learn to accept it. Because in all honesty, why would it really bother you if someone still thinks you're a certain way if you're still not that way? If you have any hint in your being that what they're saying is true, then it might bother you. And whenever there's a problem, remember this. Whenever there's a problem, there's never just one problem. Everything has a polarity. There's two problems. There's what they're saying, and there's also how you're perceiving it. I can't change what they're saying and how they think. So if I can work on how I perceive it, in which I, I may be only irritated of what they're saying because I want to prove to them that I've changed, maybe you just want to prove to them, which means you only care about being right, then it might raise some problems for you. But when you go, you know, I ain't got to prove nobody nothing. I, I've, I've changed. I have the, here, here's my fruits on my tree. You can see the, the, the more money. You can see the, the new relationship and the vibrance and the love because no matter what anyone says or anything that happens in the circumstantial realm, it should never default your love for everyone because circumstances are in the ordinary realm, but love is in the extraordinary realm. And it should be unconditional, like like your kids. You ask people, they don't care how how bad their kid is. They love their kid unconditionally, no matter what they do. That's the type of love we need for everyone, in which we don't love because people do things for us. We love because we love. And it's that simple. Sure. Is there any impact from an age perspective? One of the myths that's out there is if somebody is older, and it's all relative, somebody that's 20 is younger as compared to somebody that's 50, Mm -hmm. the principles that you talk about, are they applicable to everybody? They are applicable to everybody. And then it's, it's funny you bring that up because that's an issue that I had for a while was my age, I, it made me feel inferior because I was a little young and 
it's like how can somebody so young try to teach adults about living a better life or improving their business and you know I've learned that it's not about age or experience it's about mastery and we all decide what we want to master and this is a genre in which I'm going to work on my voice and I'm going to speak as much as I can to get great at it I'm going to read the books all experts are students first I'm going to work on the website do everything I can work on my writing in which so I can get better all the time and get as close to perfection as I possibly can and it's not about age it's about the fruit and any of us can teach any of us something and in all honesty if you look at it we're all ignorant we're all ignorant together we're all in this together trying to figure out what's the true meaning of things and if you think you know everything then really that's true ignorance and i i i every time i read a book it's like i i always call my coach like this is the best book i've ever read and he's like roy you say that every week with every book and and i realize like the more i read the more i realize i don't know anything you know mm-hmm. and anything that teaches me something and makes me better and allows me to grow is the best book to read and age doesn't matter we're just all sharing our perspective we're all sharing our concepts and my concepts are going to resonate with people who have been through the things that are congruent with what I've been through and you know somebody else's might resonate with them but it's still our responsibility to try to try to uplift everyone you know we all want to know what why are we here like what's what's life about and no one truly knows but only thing i can really think of for me is to uplift and nurture everybody all living things to uplift and nurture as best as i can to inspire and instruct people to live better lives as best as i can and minus the money and all that stuff it it makes me it brings me joy that that is what i'm doing it brings me joy to be on a phone call with you right now to be talking about my perspective on becoming better and that's what it's all about yeah this is awesome i have surely learned a lot and i'm sure our listeners of this call now and the ones that would be listening to the replay are certainly going to benefit a lot from the perspectives that you're sharing how if somebody needs more help how can they get in touch with you um i'm always posting daily motivation um I'm, i have a fan page on facebook it's roy red r o y r e d d um you can even follow my personal i'm always motivating on there i have a instagram it's roy red the same with the underscore after roy roy underscore red and also the same thing for twitter roy underscore red 
And I'm working, I'm rebuilding my website and rebuilding my brand right now. But you can still get to my website from all those social networks. And when that's back up, it'll be back up. But that's RoyRed.com. Again, that's RoyRed.com. And I, I actually, I, I, I talk to people. You message me. You know, I, I, don't, I don't do this for an outcome. I do it just because I love to. And so if anyone ever needed a question, or if you could serve me and teach me something like, hey, I don't know about what you said here. How does this work? You know, don't follow lead and, and be a student and, and, you know, contact me on any of these modalities. Sure, that's great. Uh, thank you so much, Roy, uh, for taking the time. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to benefit from this, and um, I look forward to having more conversations with you in future so that uh, we can get the word out there, the message out there, and help more people. And Thanks a lot. Thank you, thank you so much for having me on, you know, and really I just I want to say thank you for being and you know, we're we're all here doing our part, and thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It brought me a lot of lot of happiness. All right, brother. Good to talk to you. We'll catch up again next time. Thank you, man. Have a good night. Thanks, Roy. Bye. All righty. <laughs>